This episode is brought to you by our friends at Mongoose. Mongoose is dedicated to being a bridge for higher education between schools and constituents. With a focus on conversational marketing software, Mongoose takes great pride in offering both the knowledge and the tools to help higher ed engage, motivate, and grow individuals and communities. They've got two exceptional products that help folks do just that. The first one is Cadence, higher education's premier texting platform. Mongoose Cadence allows staff to efficiently reach students in their preferred daily communication channel which is texting. Whether sending a message to a single student or a large list, the platform facilitates timely, meaningful conversations that inspire action. Harmony. Mongoose Harmony is an intelligent chatbot that effortlessly guides visitors to the right content, captures lead information, and simultaneously updates any systems integrated with that chatbot, and routes visitors to the appropriate staff when a human is needed. Students and alumni visit a school's website because they want quick information. Conversational marketing through chatbots allows you to efficiently answer questions and keep constituents engaged at the peak of their interest in your institution. To learn more about Mongoose offerings, head on over to mongooseresearch.com forward slash enrollify. And fun fact, you'll be able to engage with a chatbot on that page. Again, it's mongooseresearch.com forward slash enrollify. All right, my friend, it is 2022. Welcome. Welcome to 2022. How, how are you feeling? Is it, is, it, is it 2022 or is it 2022? Oh, God. Oh, no. Or 2020 no. also. Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm sick of I feel of like we're tweets. in 2020, 2022, the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, folks, um, welcome to this is actually this will be in Rollify's first podcast of the year, which is kind of exciting. And I am joined by my friend Gil Rogers from Platform Q, and we're going to have a awesome conversation, really just a riff, um, as, as Gil was saying just a second ago. We might lose some followers, um, depending on how this conversation goes on, on Twitter and, and, and LinkedIn. So bear with us. But uh, today we're going to be talking about higher ed marketing predictions, ideas, and just other sort of like random Gil and Zach musings. Um, so Gil, anything you want to say to folks before we kick it off? Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Whatever time you listen to your podcasts, this is going to be a fun one. I don't think we'll lose any LinkedIn followers over this. I, I always look at it as on Twitter, like when us news and world report comes out, right. On yeah. Twitter, it's rankings don't matter. It's not a good match. It, it's, it's all about your match. It's all about your fit at school. Don't worry about rankings methodologies. And then on, 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 on LinkedIn, it's, we are so proud to be in the top 15 of blah, 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 blah <laughs> reposting because their boss follows them on LinkedIn. Their friends follow them on Twitter. There you right? go. And so, so we're not, we're not going to lose any LinkedIn followers over this, but we'll lose, we'll lose plenty of Twitter followers and that's fine. That's oh, fine. Well, we, good, good. We're here to be open. So. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. And Hey, you know, I, I'm just like, I'm trying, one of my new year's resolutions, Gil, is to like try to actually get better at Twitter. I tried like, in the fall of last year, I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to try to do this. And then I just totally fell off. I, I, I think what it is, is I just like talking too much. I'm just too verbose and Twitter, mm -hmm. it constricts me. Whereas like a LinkedIn, I can like take my time. I can write a story. Um, and it's less, it's just less in the moment. So, um, I'm trying to up my Twitter well, game. We'll see. And that, that's why I, that's why I stopped doing long form posts on LinkedIn and started uploading five minute videos. Right? Because <laughs> same thing. I'd rather just talk for five minutes about something than, than have to type it up and make it. And people don't read, right? And yeah. video is, you know, I think we learned this during the pandemic, right? Video is during the pandemic. Like, like it's not over. Um, you know, video is a way that people engage with content. They've been doing it pre pandemic. YouTube was a thing before the pandemic. Netflix was a thing before the pandemic. Yeah. And so, you know, switching to a more, you know, accessible form of media and more, you know, leisurely able to kind of take it in type. Of, and that's why podcasts are so great, right? We can just talk instead of having to, to type. Nobody's reading 600 word blog posts yeah. anymore about, about higher ed. They yeah. might read an article in the Chronicle or something when it's really well written, but it's, it, it's about making, and I think this is lessons from marketing that, that we need to learn in enrollment. And when we get into some of the, some of the things I know we want to talk about, that's what it's got to be is like 
meet your audience where they are. Yeah, and yeah. it's, it's got to be about, you know, it, and so if you, if we get unfollow on Twitter, that's fine. Watch my LinkedIn video. There right? we like go. It's, <laughs> we're, we're all over the place. I feel so. like it's, all, it's also like a hundred times easier to like unfollow someone on Twitter than it is to uh, unfollow or, or I don't know like what the technical term is like disconnect from, uh, uh, from them on, on LinkedIn. Like, I feel like you, you have to go to their profile and then do it. Um, unless mm-hmm. you can, unless you can hover now. I'm not, I, I don't remember, yeah. but anyways, oh, then, they'll, then they'll see you were looking at their profile. Exactly. And then, and then you unfollow. Right, and then people know yeah, that it was awkward, like a deliberate awkward. act. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So too much transparency. Anyways, hopefully we'll be in the clear. Um, but yes. uh, folks, we're going to do something a little bit different today. This is going to be less like interview style and more just uh, we've prepared a list of questions, and Gil's going to answer a, the question, and then I'm going to take a stab at answering the question as well. And so number one is what's one higher ed marketing trend that everyone is bullish on that you think will totally flop? in 2022. So Gil, you, you kick us off here. Oh, that's a, that's a good one, man. I think, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because I always, I always want to try to be looking ahead and thinking like, what's the, what's the next thing, right? And like, let's, let's try to, let's, let's not be afraid to try things and we should never be afraid to try things, but we also need to temper our enthusiasm with some of this stuff. And I think, you know, I, I, I did this, you know, right, right before the new year, I posted on LinkedIn. I did a, 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 I did a little mini rant about, Oculus headsets. Right? Ah, I, I saw love, that. Yes, I, I've got an I've got an Oculus headset. I got one for Christmas. I love it. I was bowling with a guy from Brooklyn the other night. It was great. the 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 issue that I see is that it's the latest shiny toy, mm. right? And you know, I think there's a place for VR experiences. There's a place for immersive experiences and a strategy. And if you've got the resources, time, and budget to make those and do those. Great, but don't do it if you don't have a mobile responsive website yet, yeah, right? Yeah, don't yeah. do it if you don't have a good email nurture campaign yet, right? And so I think there's going to be a, a clamoring for the latest new thing because it's in in some respects it's easier, quote unquote, to do a to pay a vendor to do a VR virtual tour of your campus for for a day and a half and then and then plop it up and have it available. Yeah, but it's not as a, it's not as effective as a content series or a content plan, right? And so I think that's going to, the shiny toy of higher ed is going to be VR for a little bit. And that's, and I think 10 years from now, there's going to just like 10 years ago, text messaging was a new quote unquote yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I think that's, that's my, you know, just reading the, reading the room on, on digital and virtual content. I think VR is going to be where a lot of people are going to try to clamor to, but it's, I, I don't think it's there yet as a influential por- portion of a plan, if that makes sense. Yeah. I love it. And, um, it's funny. I, my nephew, um, he he has the latest Oculus, and I saw him over over the holiday break, and I tried it. And honestly, I do feel like I the first time I tried Oculus was maybe like a few years ago, and it is significantly better. Like it certainly has come a, a long way. But to yes. your point too, yeah. yeah, I agree. Like it's it's gonna be a while before there's like a practical use case for you know your everyday higher ed marketer being able to incorporate this into their enrollment marketing strategies yeah. so i'm i'm with you on that one yeah. the, the best example i have is there you know there's vendors out there that will take will do a vr a five minute vr experience but then it's up on youtube right yeah, and it's yeah, yeah, yeah. it's no better than your virtual tour on youtube and everybody knows or hopefully everybody knows the pitfalls of just YouTube as the platform where your videos live, you've got the ads for other schools who are retargeting your prospects. You've got the Verbo ads. You've got the what's, you know, next video is the funny cat video that's there because the algorithm telling them. So there's a lot of brand challenges with that. So, you know, if the solution is a VR experience that's up on YouTube, that's not going to move the needle for your enrollment strategy. And we, we, there's still a lot more work that needs to be done there. So, I, yeah, I, uh, I mostly agree with you there. So, uh, love it. My, my tactic, or I guess my trend, which is a, a little bit more of like an admissions trend than it is a, a marketing trend, but I'm seeing just this huge increase in this whole like speed to lead adoption happening with admissions offices where folks are taking, you know, a note from, uh, for-profit institutions and also just sort of like, I feel like the, the, the number one people that call me after I you know, submit a form on a website or spend you know enough time watching video content on a website is like SMB SaaS. So small to medium sized like SaaS companies, like they just if if I if somehow they find my number, like they just call me on on repeat as as quickly as possible mm. after I've 
you know, perform some interaction on their site. And this trend is like creeping over into into higher ed in sort of like traditional uh, student recruitment. And it's funny, I, I interviewed a fair number of students uh, over the, the past year, and all of them talked about getting calls literally like minutes after filling out a form on a college or university website and how just turned off they were by this. So I think this idea that yeah. like we need to be like, you know, uh, uh, frenetic about getting in front of people as quickly as possible while attention is highest. I think as that pertains to texting and, and phone call follow-ups, that's going to mm-hmm. die. Like, I, I think we're going to see folks realize, you know what, we're turning people off before they've even really gotten to know us. So I yeah. think this whole speed to lead idea, just it's not going to work with traditional, you know, student recruitment. And I, I don't even think it works at the graduate level um, yeah. either. So anyways, that's my I, I think sense. I think super insightful thought that you had there is, is you, you know, infusing your personal experience with this. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I think something happens in, in admissions departments where you walk into the door and all of a sudden your personal experiences with brands and businesses and everything kind of just falls away and we forget <laughs> about it. And it's like, yeah, we should call students immediately after they've applied. And it's like, do you like getting phone calls from people immediately after you do something on a website? Yeah. Probably not. Yeah. Right. And now, and do you like seeing, do, do you like getting, you know, 300 emails from companies who you've, you, you uh, visited their website a couple of times? Probably not. I think we, we, we forget that students are consumers too. And I, and I know there's this whole, there's another, the other Twitter thread I saw a couple weeks ago or last week about students being called customers and that sort of stuff. Take the vernacular out of it for yeah, a second. Yeah. Like we're fighting about, we're fighting about the wrong things. Like let's talk about how we have to have the mindset that students are consumers and just like we are consumers, they consume media just like we do. We, th- this isn't a millennial and Gen Z conversation, yeah, right? Yeah, everybody, yeah. Wa- everybody watches YouTube. Everybody watches Netflix or Disney Plus or Hulu or whatever. Everybody has a cell phone and doesn't answer it when someone calls unless it's their mom, right? <laughs> it's, you know, there's, there's certain things that everybody does regardless of generation now that we need to stop like reverting to 1950 when we walk into the admissions office and start thinking forward on some of this stuff. But it's the, it's like what we were talking about before we started uh, the, the recording is it's that optics of effort yeah. piece, right? If I can have my admissions staff sitting in the office from five o'clock to eight o'clock making phone calls, I can then say to the provost or I can say to the president or I can say to the VP of enrollment, the team is working. They're making phone calls. They're in the there, and it doesn't. It yeah, and there and there are consultants out there that make that recommendation. Make your you know, you're the only one not calling, or if you're if you're the only one calling, you're standing out. It's like yeah. all right. If you're the only one calling, you're also the badger that nobody wants to talk to, right? Yeah. And so we've got to rethink some of these things. And so um, to get to the original question, what will flop? Legacy tactics that haven't worked before the that didn't work before the pandemic and surely won't work now. <laughs> After. But you do it enough and you feel like it's working because you get that one pickup with the one student who's really interested and it makes it all worth it, right? Yeah. And it's like, is it is it worth it? I right? also think like, it's just it's effort. I think it's just an excuse to not have more sophisticated marketing and communication plans in place. Like when you don't have a sophisticated nurturing strategy in place, it's easier to just say, oh, wow, let's call everybody that submits the RFI form or the RMI form, right? And you have to do that because your brochure sucks because it hasn't been updated in five years and it's ugly and it's not made for Gen Z. Uh, It's not a dynamic video. So there's a lack of, I think, you know, offerings that you can that you can share with students to help them sort of asynchronously nurture themselves (laughs) to the point of a, a, you know, more um, concrete decision, like starting an application or submitting that application. So I, I often think about it as like, it's an excuse for like poor marketing. It's, it's an excuse for not having good collateral. Cause otherwise like you'd let the nurturing sequence do its work. Right. And then you would highlight, okay, who are the students that are most meaningful to engage with? Who's, who's raised their hand and said, Hey, I actually want a conversation or who's raised a hand saying, Hey, yes, please text me. Then communicate with those people via phone, via texting, et cetera. But until then, right. Like yeah. for, stop calling and, and think about how to better your nurturing strategy. And it, and it makes it worse when the, you know, the big box consulting firm that comes into the president's office with a giant six figure proposal <laughs> makes the recommendation of using a phone call campaign. Yeah, right. Yeah, or yeah. It, And so it's like, it makes it hard to push back on those sorts of things. And I think that's, you know, you look at, and you know, that's probably a good segue to the, the next question that we kind of wanted to talk about is, you know, there's, there's a lot of really cool things that smaller, more nimble tech focused firms are doing. You look at, well, like, 
you know, what Capture Higher Ed does with their behavioral intelligence platform. You look at what Mongoose does with text messaging. You look at what you can do yourself with Slate, or if you have to have, you know, a firm like Underscore set up the work in Slate, right? Like there's, there's things you can do that are not reliant on super expensive legacy is the, is the nice marketing term for old <laughs> tactics that, you know, are, are, you know, they're, that are sucking up a lot of resources and time and not providing a lot of outcomes. So then you're stuck burning your staff out and having everybody quit because they're, they're doing phone calls from their desks until eight o'clock at night. So if we think about, you know, there's, there's a lot of underrated things out there that I think are on the rise and people should be focused on Zach. I know you are, you're on campuses a lot and you've taught and or calling on with campuses a lot, especially recently with, you know, the podcasts that you've been doing and those sorts of things. I'd love to hear from, I, I have my thoughts. I've already shared some of them, but you know, I'd love to hear from you underrated higher ed marketing trends that you think people should actually be focused on. We've talked a lot about the stuff they shouldn't do. Yeah. What should they do? Yeah. I think I, I feel like I've been preaching this for the past couple months. Um, but one-to-one video. I think that one-to-one video is the next email. Um, and I think that video has just come such a long way. And there's a number of people that do this. Uh, good kind um, is, I think, leading the charge. They're doing a lot of really good work in this space right now. But this idea of being able to, rather than send a follow-up email, record a simple 20, 30-second video and instantly send it to, you know, hot prospects, inquiries, app starts, but, you know, people that haven't completed the app, etc., uh, I think one-to-one video is going to surge in higher ed. And I think those that get in now and really figure out how do I incorporate this new way of nurturing into my comm flows, a new way of nurturing into my over, you know, overarching institutional-wide enrollment marketing plan, I think the people that get in now are going to benefit significantly. And it's only a matter of time before everyone hops on this trend. But I think we have a good couple years maybe two to three years before it's like the norm. So get in in 2022. And I think that you'll be ahead of the game. Well, and I think if everybody gets on their Oculus plan first, then the <laughs> smart people doing that stuff will have a nice first mover advantage, right? I think yeah. I'm, I'm with you on the, and it's, I, I kind of level that up to just video in general yeah. as a, as a cornerstone and it's a use of video, right? You think about how we consume, again, going back to students as consumers, how do we consume content when I, you know, if, if I'm on YouTube, right, and I'm watching clips from The Office, I don't want to watch, or Seinfeld now shows up all the time for whatever reason, because, you know, algorithms. The I'm And it's like, do I want to watch a 60-minute video on YouTube, or do I see a six-minute clip, and I'm like, oh, I want to watch that because I remember that clip. I want to watch that clip. And then I watch another one. And then I watch another one. Yeah. And then I and then ten clips later, I've watched an hour of YouTube content, and my phone is yelling at me for being on YouTube too long, right? And so there's there's digestible chunks of content like on YouTube. There's long form content that you can use, like and you know, live content being like a webcast or webinar, you know, student panels, those sorts of things. Those are still going to have a place, but it's going to be more about what's the on demand strategy, what's yeah. the content plan, and I think from a what they should be focused on. And I think, you know, channels that will rise in importance is going to be behavioral engagement, right. And using that data to craft informed decisions. And it's, it, what's nice about when you, when you talk about just leveraging data, I think we've, we've been looking at leveraging data all wrong for the past 15 years hmm. is it's treated as more work, hmm. Yeah, right. Yeah, and yeah. what it needs to be looked at as is different work, smarter work, and that helps you not do the redundant work. Right. And so little things like, you know, we have a we have a school that we work with that was promoting of you know, this is height of pandemic. So they were still doing a virtual open house. I don't think virtual open houses are the things that we want people working on long term. It's about a content marketing plan. But, you know, March of 2020, that's what they needed to do. Sure. They they, you know, have behavioral data in their CRM from a vendor they work with and, and they, they, they use Slate as their communications hub. They, they were going to do a print mailer promoting their event. And it's like, you know what? Print used effective, used strategically can be very effective. And for, you know, every, everyone that follows me on the LinkedIn, if you still follow me on Twitter, um, you notice how I call it the LinkedIn just to make myself feel old. You know, the, the, so the, you, you, you'll know that I've always, I've always said it's about right channel, right time, right message from the right sender, right? Yeah. And sometimes that right channel is print. And if, and so 
you know, but, but, you know, they have three, it's a large state institution. They have 350,000 prospects in their database. They're not going to send a mailer to all 350,000 of those students. That, that would be a waste of money. So they use their behavioral data and they said, we're going to target students above a certain model score. And we're going to send those students and not, not their, you know, predictive model from a vendor saying likely to, to enroll. That's a static number built off of a regression model. That's not going to change. This is behavioral data off of real-time engagement on their website, on their you know conduit platform, on their on you know all the other things that they're doing, and saying students above an X, we're going to invite them with the print mailer. Yeah, they were going right. to do the print mailer anyway. It's, this isn't more work. This is a using a data point to make a decision on who gets the print mailer, right? Yeah. And I think that's the thing that needs to that we need to break that mindset of using data is more work. It's not more work. It's the right work to make the other work easier, better, and more efficient. And that's we we. But it, it's a really hard habit to break again because the optics of effort. I've always I you know, if you can if your presence it, with admissions offices presence equals value, right? If you're in your office spinning in a chair, you're <laughs> in the office visible, so you're there and you're working. But which is bizarre because then at the very you know at, at the drop of a hat, we want to send you on the road to go visit high schools and go to a college fair. Then you're no longer in the office, right? Yeah, yeah, so. Yeah. It's a it's a bizarre kind of piece, but I think as far as things that will rise, it's going to be the use of data to inform who do we send that one to one video to, yeah. who do we send those print mailers to. We're going to do these things anyway. Yeah, we're we, it's about how and when we use them. Yeah, yeah. No, I I couldn't agree more, and it'll be interesting to see too as we talk later about how that might change the kinds of folks that uh, admissions and marketing teams hire, right? And like the kind of skill sets that folks have. Um, and, you know, the candidates that we need for the future of student recruitment might actually look a little bit different than the candidates that we've needed in the past. So interesting to kind of unpack that further. My quick, you know, two cents on what marketing channel will rise the most in importance for hired marketers. It's actually twofold. Um, I say YouTube and then TikTok uh, as channels. And in that order, meaning... To your point, Gil, I think video is finally going to really like if folks still at the end of 2022 in higher ed don't have a solid plan for creating good, dynamic, consistent video, I really think that they're going to be left behind. So I, I do think higher ed is going to invest heavily in that. I'm already seeing that happen. Um, anecdotal evidence, but then also just real folks who are you know working with our our agency partners who are doubling down on video as part of their kind of core marketing retainers that they're buying as opposed to blogs and ebooks, which they were buying not too long ago. So, you know, I think that uh, that that's going to happen. And why I think YouTube's going to grow first is because Hired is still so far behind when it comes to video, they need to get comfortable with video as a medium. And I think that it's way easier to get comfortable with video as a medium on YouTube than it is on TikTok. Like TikTok is still so overwhelming for folks. I think it's going to continue to rise dramatically. I mean, TikTok was by some accounts, uh, you know, had more traffic to its site than Google had in 2021. So it's crazy. It's it's exploding as a medium. Um, and I think that it's going to be an essential part of any sort of, you know, smart enrollment marketing strategy. I still think that folks are going to have to first learn how to do good video and understand how video as a medium works at capturing attention, holding attention, etc. And then that will migrate into TikTok later in the year, probably more, more into 2023. We'll see more admissions and marketing teams investing heavily in thinking about how do we create teams of content creators that can run and execute TikTok strategies well. So start with YouTube and then TikTok will rise as well, but won't be popular until 2023. Yeah. And I'm with you. And I think that there's a couple of, of pieces just based on our experience here with video specifically that are important for people to think about. And, you know, I go back to when I was at, you know, Chegg and NRCCUA, we did, you know, you know, partnership with Target X and whatnot on research on, we, we, we called it the social admissions report. We did it for six years, right? And now, and now companies like Niche are doing similar studies and obviously RNL has their e-expectations report. There's tons of different ways you can slice and dice data on student use of different resources for college information. There's always that distinction, right? Like, usage versus appropriate for college search yeah, right and yeah, yeah, early, yeah. early days of social media you know facebook a lot of people have their facebook strategies kind of on lock at this point right and so it's so some of this is kind of leading the leading the witness when it comes to student recruitment because it's like oh what's the best place to find colleges on social media 
Facebook because everybody's got a Facebook page, right? And but so like TikTok is not going to be up there for it's going to be up there for usage because it's the new thing, it's exciting and and fun, but it's not going to be there for college search information quite yet. If you can if you got a good TikTok strategy and you can do that again, just like, you know, building a, an Oculus experience for your campus, do that after you have a mobile responsive website and an email campaign, right? Like, yeah. the, like you got it. We still got to do the basic stuff first. And the other, the other piece is, you know, on the, uh, from the YouTube perspective, YouTube was always when I was doing that research and still is the top place where students research colleges. Cause again, you type in university of Notre Dame campus tour and you've got university of Notre Dame campus tour. The lead gen providers have figured that out, right? They, the first result is a sponsored post to go to a lead gen site, right? So, it, so they're, they're, colleges are already behind and then they're going to have to buy that traffic from somebody else. It's a, yeah. it's a silly thing. So, so clearly, yes, we want to put content up on YouTube to make it discoverable, make it available, but then it's about, again, going back to our comm flow. When we put a link in an email to watch that video, it's less about the platform at that point and point and more about the content, right? And we have a choice. Do we send that student to the YouTube video so they can see the ad for the other school and the pre-roll and they can see the, you know, the, 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 the sponsored stuff on the side that might not be aligned with your brand? Yeah. Or do we host that, that, that content in our own platform, on our own website and point there where then we can use our behavioral intelligence tracking to know where they go afterwards and what they do afterwards. So it's not as simple as what's our YouTube strategy. It's our, what's our video strategy and what's our digital content strategy. And YouTube as, as everything else is a piece of that, sure. just like your digital content is a piece of your overall marketing plan. Yeah. Right. And so and again, we just, we, we tend to go to the path of least resistance, which is, oh, put it up on YouTube. It's there. It's like, I, I said that on Twitter yesterday. It, it, it's bizarre to me it, as an industry that is obsessed with our brand and obsessed with protecting that brand, that hosting a Facebook live or throwing a, YouTube, a, a video on YouTube is sufficient when it comes to our video. We put all this effort into this amazing video, and then we just throw it up there where it's surrounded by Google's brand. Yeah, right? yeah, and yeah. Like, well, I so guess, I guess, yeah. And what I, what I think and where I would just not even, not even push back, but just to add is I think it's important to think about YouTube as hosting your video. The video on YouTube is for all the people that you don't own. Like it's for, it's for, it's for contact information yeah. for contacts that you don't own. Once you own the contact and contact ownership looks like an email address at the minimum, maybe also a, a phone number, first name, last name, like, but at least an email address. Once you can email folks, you should never be sending them directly to a YouTube link. Unless for whatever reason Thanks. you're trying to spike YouTube views like overnight for a, what, you know, a, a growth oh, hack wow. or something yeah. like that, you know, fine. But outside of that, like you, you absolutely need to be on YouTube. You need to have that content there because it's for all the people that you don't own yet. But for the people that you own, don't send them to YouTube. Keep it, keep it simple. And then it's, and then it's the Seinfeld clips strategy or the office clips strategy. Maybe you're, you, you have shorter clips on YouTube that are free and available. And then you have premium content on your website. You sure. can't watch a whole episode of the office on YouTube. You watch that on Peacock. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so we've got to think about that. And it, and all that is, is snipping videos and yeah. having clips versus the long form. Right. Yep. It's not a lot of extra work. This is stuff you can do in quick time on your computer. Right. Yeah, like there's, even even Descript. Hard. Yeah, actually, I'm I'm gonna get ahead of myself. I'll wait. I'll wait for that. Um. All right. Talk to me about the channel that you think will wane most in in importance for hired marketers. So, p stuff that folks are doing a lot of now that you think we're gonna start seeing folks do less of this. Things I want to wane or things that will. <laughs> <laughs> Good the, question. Uh, I think the things I want to wane are the things that I think a lot of people want to wane, but they're afraid to bring up in committee meetings because they're afraid of getting in trouble. Things like college fairs, right? And that's, it's, I, I hate to always go back to that, but it's the optics of effort. Again, when you get to say, you know, Zach is on the road, he's at, high, he's at college fairs, he's visiting high schools. When you're going to these places and you're, you're literally not talking to anyone or you're talking to a very limited scope of people, the pushback is always, well, you know, we, we, we meet, we meet that one student that makes yeah, it all worth yeah. it <laughs> and like, or, or the pushback is, you know, we, we need to reach these people and, and, you know, and I get it. It's hard sometimes because it's like some, you know, going to, if you put it, if you're putting in the effort to visit the places where the students 
realistically cannot make the visit to campus and the internet access is not great, then I, that that I'm fine with, right? Sure. Like, but nobody's putting their money into those things. Let's be completely honest. You're not you're you're sending your students to the places where you know you're going to get. You're sending your staff to the places where you know you're going to get students, or you're going to the students with ability to pay, higher academic quality. You're not going to the places where, and if you are, great, keep doing that, right? Yeah. And like, go go to the places where the students need the support and make it less. Ab- by providing them with by providing them with you know the resources that they need for essay writing workshops for financial aid workshops like help help with those things right and so i think the things that, and those will wane in one because we're not going to have staff to cover them because people yeah. keep quitting right or, or the there's the cost of the plane tickets the rental cars like these are all things that have been disrupted by covid that still are being disrupted by covid but we're trying to fit a square peg into a round hole when it comes to the travel element of these things and and then you know we're going to get to may and june and we're going to be in the same situation that's why i said at the beginning are we in we're in 2022 the sequel right yeah. like it's it's just uh, we we've got to those are the things that need to wane what will yeah. wane is virtual events, right? Yeah. People are going to, they're moving away from virtual open houses. They're moving away from virtual admitted student programs and they should be right. They, we, ver, when, when, when COVID hit and everyone was like, well, you know, virtual is not going to go away anytime soon. It's going to be around afterwards. That's true, but not virtual events. Yeah, it's going, exactly. yeah. you're not going to do nearly the level. You know, we had clients at platform Q during the pandemic that were doing, you know, 30 programs a month. Now, you know, we're, what we're, what we're encouraging people to do is think of, you know, your six to eight programs that you want to do live. Yeah. And then the rest about a content plan and how that content plan fits with new student search, how it fits with parents, how it fits with your guidance counselor outreach. Yeah. So that when you can't do your travel, you're doing that. So I think that's, that's, what's going to wane more is the type of digital programming that's not going to be needed in that format anymore. And was a product of the time, not the actual need. Yeah. Right. So yeah. Yeah, I, I like that a lot. I, I agree. Um, my just couple cents to, to add here. Uh, I think that, and this is a little, maybe, maybe not even a little, it might be a lot controversial. Um, but I think that paid search and display are going to begin to wane. And I think the reason is I think folks are going to realize that in the long term, there is much better ROI in putting in the work to really build solid organic strategies that focus on really, really good content that is speaking to a school's target student personas. And I think folks are going to realize that, wow, after when we shut off spending ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars a month bidding on these particular keywords, then all of a sudden that that traffic drops to zero. Whereas if we can take that cash and begin to invest it in longer term strategies, such as doing really good SEO research, coming up with solid content plans, figuring out how to incorporate more video into our marketing communications plans, figuring out what it looks like to drop program specific information session, you know, videos onto program pages to increase things like session time, right? And 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 time spent on page. I think that we're going to start seeing this doubling down on how do we better protect and augment our like owned audience, like our our owned domain, which is our which is our website and become less reliant on things like paid search and paid display to be drivers of traffic. Um, so, you know, it, it's a little bit of like, okay, do you want a bunch of traffic immediately because you, you know, you need it now and you, you can't wait. And I think for schools that are in those contexts and situations, there is a role for paid search and display. I'm not like shitting on it totally, but I just think that in, over the long run, folks that r- really double down on organic strategy and think critically about building a content foundation on a domain that they actually own, those are the folks that are going to be. Uh, that are going to win in the long run because they're not going to be so reliant on constant shifts in Google algorithms and constant shifts in uh, you know cost per click for on on target keywords, et cetera. So I predict that in 2022 we're going to see schools spend less on paid search and reallocate and reinvest more of that money into their organic content strategies. I I'm with you on the need, but I think this is another one of those you wish would wane versus <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I think that there's, it's, it's a lot, 
admissions and marketing, if nothing else, and this is what's going to lose me some Twitter followers, is notorious for path of least resistance, right? And it's easier to pay an agency to dump a bunch of money into ads than to do exactly what you just laid out because, but that's your, your way is the right way. You know, nothing, nothing easy was ever, or nothing, nothing worthwhile was ever easy. Right. And so it's, but it's easier to go to the agency and say, Hey, we got a bunch of money for ads and the agency will prop up the ads and then fire the agency when the campaign doesn't yeah, work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Than to, um, you know, to, to really put in that effort. And I hope you're right. Yeah. I hope that that's, that's where, all of these, you know, we've got to start moving in that direction. I mean, you look at you look at the proliferation now. You know, just not not to go on a on an enrollment tangent, but you know, you look at the proliferation now of like lead gen websites and how you know with ACT and SAT kind of yeah. taking a step back because of test optional. You've got the rise with you know other places. You know, honestly, this is stuff that Chegg was doing when I was there five years ago, and it's yeah. now it's just lather, rinse, repeat, right? And so they, but they're you know they're growing on the backs of selling data and selling ads. And that's where people want to, that's the easy path versus the thoughtful and strategic path. Yeah. And the, um, the, the one, the one thing that gives me a little bit of, hope, I, I'm totally with you. This is more of like, a, this is what I hope will start to wane. I, I don't know that it actually will, but why, why I think it might. And again, the emphasis being on starting to wane here is because I do think as folks are empowered with more data they're going to see, quite frankly, the amount of money. It's going to be so. It's going to be so obvious that like a dummy is going to be able to, you know, interpret any one of these marketing reports because of just how incredible software has gotten over the last couple of years, in particular. Mm-hmm. And so That's I think fair. I think there's going to be this like wake up of oh my gosh, wow, we are spending this. This gave us hundreds of thousands of impressions, you know, tens of thousands of clicks. And we can't attribute a single student to this campaign, something like that, right? Like that is, ha- I think there there are already stories like that happening. I think that those stories are going to increase in the first half of this year, and I think maybe towards the latter half of this year we'll see some smart people, some smart marketers. Maybe it's the you know the CMO at an institution or the acting CMO start to th- start start to say, okay, if we if we're serious about this, like what is what is our five year plan? Okay, our five year plan is we need to wane ourselves off of the incredible amount of money that we're spending on paid search and we need to use that investment and we need to take some of it off today. We, we can't, you know, shut it off overnight. But we're going to take some of that and we're going to start investing in a real content program in, re, in the kinds of people that we want to bring onto our onto our marketing team are going to have to be content creators. And I, I do see that shift at least starting to happen because quite frankly, I just don't think folks can keep spending at this rate um, before smart higher ed marketers start taking a note out of what the for-profit world is doing and start kind of building like their own in-house media team um, and and invest heavily in great, good or organic content creation. And I think that that's going to be a more viable path forward for folks. So again, who knows? This is probably more of a hope than anything else, but I'm hopeful that there will be enough data in the first half of this year that will convince at least a subset of, of, of institutions that, okay, maybe we need to, you know, change things up a little bit here and think more about our own content creation and protecting our own domain rather than relying so heavily on Google for our brand awareness and, and content promotion. I, I think nothing happens as fast as we want it to. It's all, it's going to be incremental yeah. change, right? And that's the unfortunate reality of higher ed is we, we, we are okay with incremental change, not transformative change. And what we need is transformative change, but what we'll get is, incremental right um speaking of that i think you know if we if we think about i know one of the topics we wanted to talk about and you mentioned it is structure right i think we talk about the structure of a team right and how you know again you've been on a bunch of campuses talking to people that are probably you know we we've talked about it a couple of times great resignation short staff you know we've we only have so much time resources i've i've seen a lot a lot of the you know the vps that we work with on strategy when they're talking about the roles that they fill the challenge that they're seeing is shallow pools of applicants to mm. fill those existing roles too. Yeah. Right. So it's not just people are leaving. It's also that normally when there's turnover and in, in enrollment, there's some people that leave, but many of those people who leave are leaving to go for a promotion at a different school. Yep. Right. Yep. They're not leaving. They're not leaving the industry altogether. Um, and so that's, what's happening is people are leaving the industry altogether. So we've got to take this opportunity to, 
to reformat our marketing team, reformat our admissions team. And it's not just hiring roadrunners to go cover programs. It's not just hiring a designer to create pretty ads, right? Yeah. Like we need to, we need to be more thoughtful. So, you know, the people that you've, you've spoken to, you know, any predictions for how marketing teams and departments are structured post, you know, 2022? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't have a great answer in terms of like org structure, but what I think, what I think will happen and maybe this isn't in 2022, but I, I actually do think it'll start happening in 2022. So when when HubSpot, um, and for those of you who don't know, HubSpot, it's their uh, leading marketing attribution uh, software. Um, they've grown dramatically during uh, the pandemic. They've, uh, you know, in, in many contexts are a, a true sort of going head to head with with Salesforce now. Um, but when HubSpot, HubSpot did something really crazy earlier this year they bought a media company they bought the hustle and the hustle for those who you who don't know is like a daily newsletter they they're like morning brew if you're familiar with morning brew and they bought the hustle and the hustle had i think like a couple million subscribers maybe um and then they had the this like subscription program called trends which is like you know their form of premium business content it's it's sort of like a a lot of young people uh follow the hustle follow follow trends and whatnot that i i love them um but I was I was like really struck by the fact that a software company bought a media company, and I think, and so I, I, I sort of went on this like uh, uh, tear and, and started doing a bunch of research and realized that more and more software companies like Stripe, for instance, right, payment software, they bought a media company called Indie Hackers. Uh, there's more and more uh, acquisitions happening of uh, software companies. Of they're actually like you know buying their own channels, so to speak. So you know they're they're buying their own media operations rather than running tons of ads and you know trying to get guest features on on kind of traditional media in traditional media spots. So while you know a software company like HubSpot is very different from a you know liberal arts college in Wisconsin. What I think will start to happen, and I think that this is a greater trend just in marketing in general, is I think marketing teams will begin to attract and be staffed with more creators like I, I really do think we're all in the market of for for attention no matter if you're selling a soft piece of software or you're selling a college experience we're all trying to get in front of people and I think right now what's happening is that content is being uh, democratized and content creators are people are following you know individual creators more so than ever before so what I think will happen again this is maybe a little bit of a stretch but what I think that higher ed marketing teams at least the smart ones will begin to think about what does it look like to have our own original content and I think where there could be really cool opportunity is what would it look like for example for Virginia State schools to all get together and say you know what what if we were to help fund a student run uh, show podcast, video, uh, video, sort of like tours, whatever it might be. We find a couple of really, really good creators, and we say, "Hey, we want you to go and do campus tours at all Virginia State public schools, and we want you to talk about what you loved, what was hard, you know, or what you didn't love about the experience, uh, what it was like to talk to students, what it was like to faculty members." And I think that there's actually this way, a way to uh, empower these marketing teams to operate a little bit more like a media company and a little bit less like a traditional marketing and communications uh, 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 operation. So I think that the only way that this has a fighting chance, at least in the short term, is collaboration between institutions, which again, you know, that's incredibly hard to pull off. But I do think what will happen, what we'll see more of is we'll see marketing and communications teams at colleges and universities creating original content, whether in the form of podcasts, whether in the form of videos. And that content won't be a this content won't be like a direct sell. It'll be some sort of show, some sort of like, uh, you know, influencer that they put out as like the champion of their of their college and university. And I think that we're going to see this like birth of like really interesting, compelling original content coming from schools that folks are hoping will, you know, ultimately inspire folks to come and, you know, uh, apply and ultimately enroll at those institutions. So a little bit of a far out idea, but that's that's kind of what I think we'll we'll start to it's see in 2022. It's not crazy, and it's the exact reason why Platform Q Education bought Higher Ed Live last year. Yeah, there you right? go. Yeah, yes. Yeah, keep, keep plug, but you know, if you if you don't subscribe, higheredlive.com. Um, you know, the we you know to be able to you know for us, it's a, a, the opportunity to showcase our platform clearly, but also provide access to the brightest minds in education. Yeah. Right, and so and those brightest minds 
are the ones who are helping to craft these types of conversations. And so it's, that's the higher ed specific example there. Right. Yeah. And there so you go. I think the, that, and so, you know, to, to, you know, go back to your point, like, let's talk about just leveraging tools like HubSpot in the higher ed world, right? Like that's why companies like Capture exist. That's why there's, you know, Carnegie has clarity. That's why there's these different resources out there to, to help with the, to go back to the point before, behavioral intelligence and and dynamic content based off behavior, right? Yeah. And so, and, you know, you can, you there's different methodologies to identify those prospects. I'm happy to talk to anyone about those things for hours and hours and hours. I think, you know, to, to your point from, from earlier about, you know, it being easier now to get at the data on the outcomes of yeah. your effort than it ever has before, there still needs to be a role for, or a person or people that, are able to synthesize that data for leadership yep. and provide a, you know, it, it's in, you know, for, for decades, it's been institutional research, right? Institutional research is doing X, Y, Z. That's mostly focused on internal, um, you, know, um, you know, graduation rates and all of the, you know, progression and, and persistence and, and all that stuff. But maybe someone in, in institutional research can be your, enrollment data analyst, your marketing data analyst, yeah, right? Yeah. And have have someone on the team that can actually do, I know Encora has been recommending that for years now of having someone on the team that's not a roadrunner, that's not a social media manager, that's not, you know, because, uh, you know, who's the social media manager? It's also the recent alum who was a tour guide, right? That's a, that's the, <laughs> yeah. just the way that it works. The, it's you know, it's someone who's got skills in database administration, able to, you know, analyze that type of data. statistics, you know, analytics, that sort of stuff, right. Uh, to use, to, to use the technical term, that sort of stuff, right. It's, I think that's, that's the, the missing link in a lot of this is like, everybody loves slate because it makes, it makes, you know, setting up queries easy. It makes, you know, sending out communications easy, but there's a reason why, companies tack on to Slate or tack on to Salesforce, you know, they look at, look at Salesforce as an example of a CRM, right? Salesforce, it, you can send emails from Salesforce, but everybody adds Pardot or Marketing Cloud, or they add, they use MailChimp or Custom Contact or whatever, right? Yep. Or Constant Contact, not Custom Contact. I'm not that stupid. <laughs> the, it, you know, so it's the, it, and so it's going to be the same with Slate or, or Salesforce, you know, Target X builds customizations on top of these things. So it's, it's going to be part your structure, but part, you know, how you're, who on your team is able to analyze, synthesize, and communicate that type of those outcomes, right? Because you can have access to all the greatest data in the world. This is, this is a marketing cliche 101. You can have access to all the great marketing data in the world, but if you don't understand it, you're not going to make good decisions, right? Yeah. And that's, that's not, again, nothing new. This is all stuff that we've been talking about for years that I think is finally coming to a head. Yeah, no, love it. Um, and it'll be really interesting to see again what yeah what that what the marketing team what the marketing function uh, at a college or university looks like in like three or four years from now. I think it's, I actually do think it's going to change dramatically. Like you're saying, I think we're going to see these new roles emerge. I think that um, these operations are going to become much more sophisticated because they're going to have to be in in order to survive. Um, so I, I'm I'm actually really excited about this. I my hope too is that more of and it's funny because, you know, we work with a lot of uh, marketing agency partners that we, you know, know and, and love at Enrollify. But I do think that we're going to see eventually more marketing communications come back in-house. And I think that uh, in, in all, in all like, like for as, as far as the storytelling component goes for marketing communications, I really do think that that needs to be done by a sophisticated in-house marketing team in most contexts. Like, I, I, I really do think that having ownership of your brand and being able to communicate your story and, you know, concise, compelling, and impactful way for the purposes of attracting the next generations of students as much as possible that should be done by brand champions. And there's no brand champion quite like the people that are actually, you know, working within the context of college or university. So we, um, we got to go rapid fire for these next few, uh, Gil, you and I, uh, could just <laughs> talk about all this stuff forever, forever. So let's, Great. let's go, let's go a little bit quicker here. So, um, what higher ed software tool or application or a higher ed adjacent software tool or application are you most excited about in 2022? Well, I don't think I'm allowed to say conduit, but I will <laughs> yeah. impart, I will impart say conduit. Yeah. 
there's a lot, there are a lot of enhancements for the on-demand and for the content hosting and, and integrations coming, but I will not, I will not go down that rabbit hole because that's not the point of today. Uh, I think, I, I think it goes and I, and I won't, I won't choose one specific app, I, but I will say, I'll go back to my point before about the ability to leverage behavioral intelligence and connect your tactics and programs together, right? Mm-hmm. There are things that many places are doing that we work with, that we don't work with, that allow you to kind of, you know, look at the impact of your virtual tour, your virtual information session, your website, your, you know, uh, your email campaign, like tie these things together to really look at those inflection points and make data informed decisions on future outcomes. So again, not working more, working differently. Yeah. And I think the ability to leverage behavioral data is something that has gone come a long way over the past 18 months and has a lot of runway to get even better, right? So hop on that train um, on you know behavioral intelligence. You'll look at Capture, look at Carnegie Clarity, look at HubSpot, look at these different, different tools that can help with behavioral intelligence and marketing automation, I think are the are the next big thing. If Slate ran the, you know, ran the past five or six years of higher ed investments in, in tools. I think the next five years is going to be, how do we level that up with that engagement component? Because, you know, the out of the box tools in the CRM, whether it's Slate or Salesforce or or others are not always the best. Right. And you can, you can level that piece up with an, with affordable solutions. Yeah. 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 No, I'm, I'm really excited about just, uh, ed tech in general and just seeing how, how folks are going to better leverage technology to make the student experience from initial website visit all the way down to uh, enrollment and and beyond just much more friction free and, and sustainable. And I think that there are just there are just so many tools out there that are coming up and really, really, really great options. So I'm also excited about that. The specific app that I'm most excited about in 2022 uh, is actually Zimi. And you know, full, full disclosure, I did go and stay at uh, Adam Metcalf, who's one of the co-founders. I stayed at his uh, ranch for a night in Wyoming uh, earlier this year. So I, 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 I've become good friends with, uh, with Adam. Uh, they are not in Rollify partner. So, but, uh, why, why I think Zimi is so interesting and I, I've been watching them. They've been growing a lot recently, but I think why I'm most excited about Zimi as, as an application is because they're, I think that community marketing and this idea of kind of like collective marketing and collective, um, uh, the, the collective adoption around an idea or the collective adoption around excitement around a brand. I think that that's something that Gen Z resonates with a lot. And in our conversations with folks just on campuses this year, more and more of, of these students talked about Zimi um, as being an instrumental uh, influencer in their reason for attending a college or university. And they met and became friends with people that were interested or had a, already applied to different colleges uh, before they even met these people. And before the, you know these folks had even decided whether or not they were actually going to apply and or enroll in this school. And so this idea of like community marketing as, you know, uh, another way of thinking about this is, you know, peer-to-peer marketing as this growing trend in how Gen Z makes decisions, I think is going to keep going up. And I think apps like Zimi are going to be um, breakout companies this year. So we'll see. Uh, and I think other folks are doing this uh, as well. I think Unibuddy is is, is really trying to lean into uh, this space as, as well. I'm not as familiar with their product offering here, but I think Anyone that is emphasizing and focusing on community-based marketing in 2022, I think is going to have a big year. Awesome. All right. What company or agency that supports higher ed do you think will have a breakout year in 2022? Ooh, that's an interesting one. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I go back... Well, one platform queue clearly um you know we're we're still growing and still adding partners and we're refining a lot of our strategies where people were doing a lot of virtual events during the height of the pandemic because they had to they're starting to understand that it's more about what's your content plan and how do we incorporate that into new student search strategies family engagement and have it be more affordable than you know bigger big box store consulting firms, right? Uh, but if I if I have to go outside of my my own little circle, um, I'll I'll again point. I, I look at what, like what what Carnegie has done with recent acquisitions, right? And you think mm, about yeah, they, they bought M Stoner, they they bought 
underscore, um, you know, to fold into this really interesting ecosystem of, you know, you know, they, they, they were already a great marketing agency now, and now it's, you know, the other, the other pieces that are coming into the fold here. They've been on a tear. Um, I feel like, I feel like every other week I'm saying, Oh, we were acquired by Carnegie. I'm like, wow, this is crazy. It's awesome. And and if they can, and if they can achieve the, you know, the branded house element of this versus the house of brands, I think that's the big win, right? If everything is connected and everything is integrated, I think that's a lot better than what you see other other places that have bought a lot of companies do, and they just slap the logos on a slide and say, yeah. "Hey, we do all these things." That's the risk when when it comes to those sorts of things. But I think they're primed to do because they're they're doing it right. They're buying good companies that that do those specific things. Yeah, I think so. I think that's where I would I would kind of put my I would I would keep an eye on if I'm if I'm in the space is companies like that. Yeah, yeah. Love it. Um, my answer to this one is bold.org. I don't know if you how familiar you are with bold, um, Gil, but uh, they've they've been growing a ton. Um, but they're they actually started as a they're a scholarship search site, and they're they're basically like a you know twenty twenty two version of scholarships.com, but uh, way more sophisticated. I think that their mission is a lot more concrete. And what I love about what they are doing is their their platform it gets incredible usage. And folks, as a, as a school, right, you can, you know, run ads, get in front of folks who are interested in scholarships that are either offered at your institution or scholarships similar to those that your institution offers. But the user, the, the, the student has to opt in to see offers from you. And when they do, then, you know, you get access to their contact information, and you can enroll them in your, your search campaigns or whatever. But I think that the way that Bold is approaching uh, privacy and um, data uh, analytics and just really their overarching mission to try to, uh, you know, uh, increase access um, for especially underrepresented populations, uh, get them access to scholarships, but then also help enrollment managers do a better job at being able to hyper profile and target specific populations. I think that they're going to have a a huge year in 2022. um, And I'm excited to see them them grow, especially as, you know, uh, the ACT and SAT um, uh, continue to, you know, be be optional in, in many in many contexts. So I think that bold is going to be this really interesting solution for folks that want access <laughs> to really interesting detailed data. Um, and, you know, for whatever reason, don't want to go through NRCCUA or, or others. Um, yeah, so that's that's what I think about bold. Okay, higher ed, uh, or that's what I think about a breakout company. What higher ed event are you most excited about attending in 2022? God willing, we can attend events this year. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's a that's a toughie, right? Like I I went to NACAC in Seattle. Oh yeah, how was that? It was it was great. Everyone was vaxxed and masked, and I didn't get COVID. Knock on wood. Not and you know, I mean, I wouldn't be getting it now. Um, the the uh, everyone followed the right protocols, and the, I did an interview with NACAC's media people, and I and I said it's time to get back yeah. to these sorts of things, and then. Then of course, what happened is that we got more variants and everything became a problem. And I, you know, we we just canceled our company in person program for January because, you know, everyone on the team kept, keeps coming down with with COVID, right? Yeah. And so how do we? I I cannot in a in my right mind ask our team to do that sort of you know thing. Um, we, we were talking about this before we started the call. I think the value the value of these in person programs is no longer the professional development component at all. Right. Mm. I think that, that those can all be done via webinars, white papers, the, the, the virtual access to content, we can learn it all asynchronously. We can do a live webinar when we want to, but you know, there's nobody wants to go to, and I did, we did it at NACAC. Nobody wants to go to a NACAC conference to sit in a a giant ballroom watching a panel talk. Right. Yeah. yeah. We can do that from our desk. It's called a webinar, right? It's more about the social aspects for a lot of these things. And like doing, like we were talking about before the, you know, the, the, the hatchet throwing or the rock climbing or the, you know, the, the getting the team together kind of stuff. And so I, I think we're probably better served focusing on smaller, more tight knit programs like that. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I, I'm going to say that I, I don't have one at the moment that I'm planning on attending. Yeah. yeah. Um, if it, it, NACAC is always my go-to. I love going to the NACAC conference. And if it happens and I feel comfortable, I will go, um, you know, AMA, I would have loved to go. Um, but you know, you, you've got to look at the the risk, uh, right now. And so yeah. it's, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm on the fence You're on the fence. all travel yeah. for 2022. Okay. Okay. Well, um, I am excited about 
uh, going to NAGAP 2022. Again, hopefully they canceled their, their, oh, actually they, sorry, they had a, they canceled the 2020 event, obviously. And then last year's was a virtual event, but why I'm excited about NAGAP. And for those that don't know, um, NAGAP is the leader in graduate enrollment management it's an association of folks that work at, in, in grad and why I think this event is going to be really interesting. Again, hopefully it is able to happen safely in person, um, is I think that grad is a, just a very interesting market right now. And I think especially, I think grad is going to like carry the brunt of uh, a lot of the challenges happening at the undergraduate level right now. And so I think folks are going to invest more in, in grad. And so I think grad is going to be asked to spin up new programs. I think that they're going to be asked to help uh, cover some of the, the loss in revenue that undergrad has experienced and, and might continue experiencing over the next few years. So I think that it's just a really interesting time to think about marketing and student recruitment strategies that are pertinent to uh, adult learners, folks that are coming back to uh, get a master's or, or, or a PhD. So I'm interested in, in their programming. And I think that it's going to be like a, a very dynamic, interesting event. Um, but again, I, I will only go if it's in person. I'm done. To, I'm done. I'm like totally done, unfortunately, attending any virtual uh, conferences. I just, I cannot do it. I, I praise the people that are able to do it. And I, you know, folks, some folks are doing it, you know, better than others for sure. But personally, yeah. I just, especially when it comes to the networking, which is why I go to events to begin with, virtual networking in those virtual exhibit halls is just horrible. Like I have yep. not, even, even HubSpot, who I think has invested millions and millions into their virtual experience like it just even they 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 haven't been able to nail it and so if they can't do it uh, i think folks in in higher ed are, are going to struggle to do it well so um yeah those are that's that's my two cents on on events yeah i think i'm with you on the virtual um conferences piece like and, and you know for, be as an exhibitor at virtual conferences we don't do that anymore yeah right? yeah and again i go back to nobody wants to sit for four hours attending back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back sessions. And there's all the distractions of your email, of people popping exactly. into your office, exactly. Slack, and all these things. And so we've, again, pre-COVID, we had virtual events. We called them webinars and they were like 45 minutes, 30 minutes. And so then it, we, I think we got to get back to that from a professional development perspective yeah. where it's you know, stop trying to do these day-long, two-day-long, quote-unquote, virtual conferences and really focus on doing the virtual, making, making the content accessible yeah. and you know, the networking piece is what we need to work on. Right. And it's, and it's not solved with chat rooms and, um, and virtual exhibit halls. That's also, for sure. Just like, yeah. I hate to say it, people, but virtual college fairs still are not the solution yeah, either totally. for your student recruitment and they weren't before and they won't be now. I, so, I, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree. And just to step on a soapbox one last time here. Honestly, nothing bothers me more than the live virtual events with pre-recorded sessions. Like, I don't yes. understand that at all. Like, why did that become a thing? Why is that a thing? Why do people keep keep spinning these up? It's like, if I'm going to take the time to come to a live virtual event, right, at least like give me like good live content otherwise just don't like let me not come to the event and send me the conference session so i can you know watch it on my own time I, that just bothers me to no end and several people did that this year yep yep i'm with you all right uh last question and then we will sign off for for now my friend um so how is Platform Q planning on spending your marketing budget this year? What what can you tell us about the areas that you guys feel strongly that you're going to go uh, place either media buys or even just you know time? Uh, what are, what are you going to focus on this year? And then I can talk about what we're going to be doing on Enrollify, and then we can wrap. Lots of display advertising. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, Oculus headsets. No. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, to your point before, we've got a pretty solid content plan that we have slated for. We have a webinar coming up on the 13th of January, depending on when this episode drops. You can either check it out live or on demand. Um, and so, you know, we, you know, we're getting back to kind of leadership forums, smaller, you know, you know tighter con pieces of content, and really helping with that, you know, the virtual strategy piece versus just virtual events and programs, right? Yeah. And so... Um, you know, for, for us, it's about showcasing, you know, the, the right ways to do things. And, you know, you know, if you can't tell from this conversation, being a little more direct about the wrong way of doing things. And, you know, on, on one hand, we have, you know, empathy for 
the fact that people are in stressful situations, but at some point, you know, the, the pressure cooker quote unquote of admissions is sometimes self-induced. Right. And so, um, helping people with in showcasing those types of examples. So a lot of, a lot of great, a lot of content in the works, you know, higher ed live is going to be, and we're going to be announcing season two's, um, episodes here in the next few weeks. Um, and so that's, you know, adding value to the industry in that way. Um, you know, eating quote unquote, eating our own dog food, yeah. right. <laughs> using our platform and using our, our own str- the strategies we would recommend for our clients and, and demonstrating them by doing them with our own content. Right. And so at the end of the day, it's a, a content plan is a content plan. It's the what content needs to be presented and when yeah. is different. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Um, super pumped for that. And just a uh, real short, uh, this is, this is all, you know, um, uh, there's a big asterisk to solve all of this, which is that assuming it is kind of safe, uh, or, or sort of we deem and our, our partners deem it safe. Uh, this, this is the plan. This was, this was the working plan back into the start of December, at least. Um, for, for enroll high, but we did a road show out in, uh, back in the fall in September. And it was like this, this massive hit for, uh, subscriber growth and just for our partners, they got a lot of value out of it. So we have a bunch of, uh, podcast road shows planned for this year and are going to be doing, um, some boot camps along the way for folks, kind of smaller, more intimate, uh, trainings and, and, um, opportunities for folks to come and learn a little bit more about what we're hearing from students, um, um, so we've got a trip that is tentatively planned for Southern California in, in mid February to kind of kick things off. So our, our, a big marketing uh, plan looks like, you know, creating a lot of content, um, kind of like live on the road. So we'll see how it goes. Um, and you know, God willing, we're able to, uh, make it out there and, um, you know, talk to students and get their, their perspective on what they think the future of higher ed should look like as well as, you know, faculty, staff, uh, administrators, um, uh, and, and all, all the people, all the stakeholders, uh, in, in higher ed. So I'm excited for that and we'll see, uh, how it pans out and just quick plug. If you guys, uh, if any of you are listening and you're in the, um, what is it? It's NorCal and SoCal, I believe is what folks call it. Uh, if you're in NorCal or SoCal, uh, we will be there in mid-February. All right, my friend, this has been fun. We, what if we did this like every week? That'd be that'd be fun, but hey. also probably you know a little exhausting. People are probably tired of us talking. Exhausting, for, exhausting for, for our exhausting for our listeners. listeners yeah, not for us. Talk. This is great. I can, I can do this all day. I'm ready, um, I'm ready for the rest of my day. Yeah, Let's do yeah. It. All right, my friend, appreciate your time as always. Um, and for folks tuning in, if you're not familiar with Platform Q or Gil, he's all over social. You can follow him on LinkedIn, Twitter. Uh, check out Platform Q and all the fun stuff that they're doing. Uh, excited to see all that you guys do uh, as a as a brand, but also everything that happens with Hired Live this year. It's going to be exciting. Excited to be a part of it. Thanks so much for having us, Zach. Appreciate it. If you are an enrollment marketer, working in marketing and communications or enrollment management and would be willing to be interviewed on the podcast or if you have an idea for a topic that you'd like to hear covered on the podcast please reach out directly to me at zach z-a-c-h at enrollify.org we sincerely look forward to working with you to make enrollify the most trusted go-to digital resource for enrollment marketers out there